Hello again, Gene Baxter here for Podcast Radio. One minute away from speaking with Kate Hardcastle, MBE, known as the Customer Whisperer for hundreds of media appearances across the top TV and radio outlets throughout the United Kingdom. Kate is also wildly in demand as a business consultant, speaker, and host, and gives back 20% of her time to raising awareness and funds for local charities as well. All of that, plus a family, and now Kate has a podcast too. It's available everywhere, and it's featured right here on Podcast Radio. Time for the story behind the Rock and Roll Business Podcast. Have you ever wondered who puts the business in show business? Rock and Roll Business is the only podcast to give you an access all areas pass to life behind the scenes in the music industry, recording live at some of the UK's best known venues. We hear an insider's insight into this business like no other. Good morning, Kate. Hello, how are you? I'm great. I have just been telling our podcast radio listeners how impossibly busy you are. And frankly, I am shocked that you had even five minutes to stop by and speak with me today. Is there ever a day, Kate, where you are not on television or radio or on a podcast or in the newspaper? Even one day a year where there's no Kate. Maybe Christmas. Maybe Christmas. But always back on Boxing Day because it's retail results day then. Sure. Yeah. And I know you must get asked this everywhere you go all the time. And I hate to be that guy who's so predictable, but what is the secret to juggling so many jobs, wearing so many hats, having a family and a business like you do in so many different areas? What's the, what's the secret of your time management? And have you written a book on this topic yet? Uh, no. And I think a secret success might mean I was successful at it. I'm not quite sure I am some days, but there are two things that help. One is that it's about consistency for me. So in everything I touch work-wise, there is a value to the listener, the customer, the audience. And that's what drives me in terms of the passion. And the only thing I've really found that's worked is being present in the place that you're meant to be at that time. And one of the things that really helps with that is putting the phone down. If you're really not meant to be on it or scrolling through the social, take the distractions away. That's the only thing I can say works for me so far. I'm still on a learning curve though, we all are. That does sound like good advice. And I think many of us do fall victim of being connected 24 seven. And you're right. Sometimes you do need time to just rest a little bit and let your brain catch up. I think. Oh, totally. I think we don't realize, I think perhaps we go as a default to the phone as a distraction, but actually it's then completely setting all of those ideas and thoughts off in your head once again. And I think sometimes we're just not fully in, in understanding of just how incredibly intelligent and brainy our brain is and how much it can achieve and how much actually all of those messages and sounds send off. So give it a break. Yeah. Put the phone down. <laughs> With everything that you do, you talk about the passion, and that does seem like that's your entire business model is to do things, spend your time on things that you are passionate about, whether it's your work with retail, your work with climate change, your charity work, all these things you do. But I suspect that this rock and roll business podcast is even more special to you. There's a sparkle, I think, in your voice. I bet there's a glint in your eye because this is something I sense that you've been passionate about since you were a little girl is rock and roll music. It really is. Yeah. How can it not be? I mean, when you have a life that's touched by music, it doesn't ever leave you. It's a constant. It's a metronome in your life. And when I was a very, very little girl, uh, we didn't have the easiest of childhoods. And I was left a collection of vinyl records. Those vinyl records were my metronome. They were the thing every day that was my constant. And I could tell you, even now, every word, letter, image that was on them. Very fortunate to have these brilliant Beatles vinyls that had a lot of different things to them. 
Sergeant Pepper's ones with the cutout moustache. So I poured over them. And I think when something touches your life like that and then later on as a singer, um, I think it, it's very difficult. It relieves you. So when your two world, worlds truly collide, business and rock and roll together, how can I not be so excited about it? I can barely contain myself. <laughs> is this, uh, this idea for this podcast, is this something you've had for a long time and we're just waiting for the time to be able to launch it properly? It really is, yes, because I think when I went into a more traditional business environment and I was told to make sure I didn't mention that part of my life had been as a backing singer uh, on big stages, to not reference the fact that that was a side of me, uh, I, I felt it, it seemed to be a taboo. It seemed to be a very bad thing. And therefore, I would lean into the academic, lean into the very grey-suited, very formal environment that I was taught to be in as, as a person in business. Mm. And what I realized was I was actually leaning more and more into the skills as a performer than ever before. The, the need to be able to look calm like the swan serene on the surface while your feet are pedaling like crazy underneath. <laughs> the, the idea that actually you need to be able to fake your confidence, the idea that you need to be able to understand your audience and, and be able to change things on the spur of the moment relevant to that audience. Every time I leaned into those business lessons, from the stage, I realized that actually it's probably got more relevance to the way that business is in these days than, than some of the academic routes that I took. That is interesting. A person on stage has to read the room just like a person does in business. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you learn such skills doing it. I mean, you know yourself, we can't always allow for everything that's going to happen to us. And when uh, on the stage as performance behind the mic, but actually when COVID hit, what you realised was the words that were being used, pivoting, uh, fluidity, um, kind of literally sometimes making it up as we're going along. That is so much more suited to a rock and roll environment. That's the catalyst for me that went, yeah, do you know, this is the time we talk about this. Yes. And I do want to get into that in a couple of minutes about how business has to pivot in the music industry now more than ever. But take me back for, for just a minute back to your growing up in Yorkshire, right? Such a rich history of great music coming out of that part of our country. Who do you remember as the first local act that you realized, oh my gosh, this is practically my neighbors and they're making a living doing this? Well, my first gig was actually probably not a generational fit, but one of those finals I talked about was Joe Cocker. Ah. He was from Yorkshire. Yes. And he returned. He returned. Obviously, he was, he was living in America by the time I was growing up and old enough to see him. But I had an image of him from this vinyl cover. And without Google and the internet as your friend, I was kind of expecting someone to look like that to, to get on the stage. So it was quite a, a gasp that I took when yes. at Sheffield City Hall, Joe Cocker Sr. kind of stumbled out on the stage. I was like, oh! That's not what I was expecting he would look like. And then he he opened his mouth, he opened his lungs, and the voice came, and it was that was perfect. So I kind of had the perfect first gig in that it was in Yorkshire, a Yorkshire guy returning back to his Yorkshire roots. It's so shocking to me. I, I'm a British citizen. You can't tell from the accent. I was born here. I've lived here on and off my whole life. When you look at the population of the United Kingdom versus the amount of great music that we have unleashed onto the world, it is astonishing and unequaled anywhere. Even from your tiny patch of England, Human League, Def Leppard, uh, Ed Sheeran, Arctic Monkeys. I mean, so much music comes out of such a small country. What do you think that's Absolutely. about? Why, why is there so much? How are we able to do it? 
Isn't it fantastic? I mean, it is great no matter where you travel in the world that you'll end up having a conversation either about your sports teams or music and bands and making the geography relevant to where you come from. And I think the fact is that, thankfully, uh, people before us and even generations to come have had, in the main, that investment in music. And it's been seen and respected through the generations. I'm not sure in the 50s it was as easy and respected, but certainly 60s onwards. I think when we created and had that legacy to fall back on of the Beatles, the 60s, 60s bands of kinks and stones right through to the current day we really do have um some of the best of the best the, the world's greats and it does feel good when you're thinking about the size and scale of the uk which is a postage stamp of an island really when you are in australia or america uh, being able to say well actually yeah i do come from the land of the beatles you know so <laughs> let's, right. uh, let's just start the conversation there Yes, I mean, if, you, if you're talking about the Mount Rushmore, to use an American analogy, of <laughs> rock and roll, you have to have the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the Who and Led Zeppelin in there. Your mountain is already filled. You haven't even gone outside the country. I haven't even started Deep Purple yet. Yeah, I mean, just so much, so much to put there. Excuse me, where's Ozzy? I mean, we can yeah. go on and on, right? <laughs> so when you started uh, actually recording, and I understand it, uh, it, it, several months had already gone into your rock and roll business podcast before you released the very first episode. How are you looking to make it different than all of the other podcasts out there that do interview musicians and people in the music industry? What's the business angle that you're approaching? Well, I'm in so much, uh, have so much respect. I'm, I, I'm in awe of some of those interviews. I listened to them as a music fan and I knew that I couldn't um, go, go anywhere close to uh, meeting the brilliance that come out of, of interviews, people like your good self. But what I do know is 25 years serving in business, I probably could maybe articulate the bridge between that rock and roll career or what that person was doing in the industry and how that was relevant to the business world. So I just purely see myself as a translator. And I think that there are some great examples of business and entrepreneurs and um, quite maverick ways of doing uh, of making money that, that sit in the rock and roll business like no other and I think we all have the opportunity to learn from that but what I wanted to do was make sure that we're on good ground and good footing there are a highly highly uh, respected bunch of people that I, were, I was interviewing and in in the company of and it was important to me that I'd done my research I knew uh, obviously obviously their great careers, what they'd done musically, or maybe how they'd helped artists uh, behind the scenes. But I also wanted to understand the business side of their world too, and be able to broach them about how some of that was relevant. So each episode took a lot of research and to connect with some of the people we've interviewed, it wasn't the easiest because a lot of them are purposely in the shadows. That's where they live. That's where they want to be. They have no reason to step into the limelight. So it took some persuasion as well. We're talking to Kate Hardcastle here on Podcast Radio about her show that you hear throughout the week here called Rock and Roll Business. If people are just now hearing about this, is there an episode or two you like to point folks to to listen to first that you're especially proud of, Kate? I think if you start with the idea that you're perhaps not quite sure what the, the uh, concept is, how do you bring rock and roll and business together? Let's start with Randy Jackson. He is a maverick entrepreneur. We know that he was in bands that have, uh, have hit big stages as bass player, but then has gone on to be an entrepreneur himself. But he's sprung board into other careers as well as a TV judge, um, as a TV presenter. And I think if you are 
juggling multiple hats and multiple careers right now, you will get that story, that messaging all the way through the interview before we, we hit the summary at the end. So I think that's a good place to start because he's someone that you've probably heard of, probably know. But when you actually start then looking into the careers behind the artists, like Shep Gordon with Alice Cooper or uh, Emma Banks behind Florence and the Machine and Kylie, I think that's where the real interest is, is also there from a business perspective. How have they ma- managed that? Because it's, it's almost like um, a startup business becoming one of the biggest businesses in the world. And I think that era is going to happen more and more. We are going to have more startups hitting dizzy heights because all bets are off. The the level playing fields are really open thanks to things like social media. Mm -hmm. Do you find that many musicians are so engrossed in the creative process that they tend to ignore or discount how much business sense they need? And that's why so many end up either flaming out or going broke. They don't have maybe the support people around them to help them get to the next level and have a sustainable career. You know, we've had that conversation so many times and I know it's a conversation that's still to come. Some of the greatest artists that haven't had the financial awareness or have been reassured by someone they really trust that actually everything's all right when it, it isn't that case at all. And I, and I think it's it's almost one of rock and roll history's uh, most repeated stories when it comes to the business side. So absolutely, it, it's not particularly that the creative should even have to have the awareness of finance, but they should have good people around them and they should know to ask for that i think it's it's quite a challenging story to hear because you're talking to people of such talent of such passion to hear that perhaps they ended up then with five dollars left in their wallet after all of it 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 it, it kind of hits you in the stomach it's like a a gut blow of oh my goodness how can all that work all that effort never seen your family touring the world how can that be the outcome but it happens time after time that said i think there are some of the greatest business minds in rock and roll, even on the stage. And I really think some of these entrepreneur icons, uh, entrepreneurial icons really are worth sitting and listening to. There's a great interview um, from the New York Times that came out a couple of years ago with Jay-Z. And he was talking about, where do I see myself? Do I see myself in that white hot space where I've always got to be relevant, always got to be top of the charts? Or do I see myself basically playing the long game? And that kind of dynamic as well is so important where we've got businesses trying to make themselves social media worthy every day. But actually, there is a long game to business and it, it, it's just not even sustainable to keep up that rate of, of passion and, and engagement day in, day out sometimes. So how do you get that balance right? So I think there's some great advice actually through the way they've lived their careers too. I think you're right about that. And I heard you ask Midger, which was a wonderful interview, uh, that episode of your podcast, I heard you ask him the question about whether he thought it was easier for artists today because of the tools available on the internet But then the downside of that is all the other things that have changed in terms of getting paid or not getting paid to sell records. I heard his answer. How about yours? If you were starting off today, do you think you could figure out a way to make a living playing music? Well, firstly, I'm going to just take that little bit of our interview. I'm going to keep that forever because that's a compliment coming from someone as genius as you. So thank you very much for that. But yeah, I'm pleased with the question that we've asked so many artists in terms of what what would rock and roll look like? if it started off in this age. And there is this idea that there is a speed to market. There's a more level playing field. You don't need to be signed up by such a big record label to get out there and get going. But it's such a crowded marketplace and things have to be so sensational. Talking to the band Better Strangers, which is actually uh, a band that started in 2020. The drummer is Nick Collins, who's currently on tour as a drummer in Genesis. He is Phil Collins' son. And hearing about how they're doing it right here, right now, is probably the answer I give. And they're talking about actually 
seeing it in a very different way without that filter of rock and roll. They can't afford to be last on the bill. They can't afford for people to be taking the Uber home because they haven't really heard of that band and therefore they're not going to stick around to listen to them. So they're strategically managing their career relevant to how can we get the most people to engage with our music and not what the rock and roll lifestyle will be. And I think that's a very true and honest reflection of what it's like. And I do feel like for the most part, you have to have a social media aspect today. You have to have a way to one-on-one connect with your fans. I mean, I don't think there's any better example of somebody who blew up on her own, along with the help from her brother and her very supportive family, is Billie Eilish. You look at her story and you go, wow, that's a 21st century rocket ride right there. It's a fairy tale, isn't it? But for every Billy, unfortunately, there are hundreds of thousands that just don't make the grade. And that can be really difficult to deal with because I think maybe in the 60s and 70s you were protected you were on the road you kept turning up to the pubs sometimes three people and a dog would be there sometimes 30 people would be there it was quite balanced you had that rapport but it feels for a lot of these young artists that it's an on and off switch and it can be really challenging mental health-wise as well to deal with the fact that they're either adored and loved on or, or not and, and they see it as nothing in between. I think it's really tough on the soul to be in rock and roll these days. So I'm interested in exploring that with some of the, the younger artists we're talking to. You have been to America to record some episodes of your show. In fact, the day we record this, I've already listened to and very much enjoyed your Bluebird Cafe Nashville interview. Where else did you go in the States? We went to uh, Nashville and L.A. on this trip. It was uh, quite the challenge, as you can imagine, traveling in COVID times um, and lots of uh, hoops to jump through. But it was brilliant. We fit so much in there. We went to the Grand Old Opry in Nashville. Uh, We went to uh, Dolly Parton's offices. We went to we went to Tootsie's. I sang on the stage of Tootsie's. Now, if you've (laughs) never heard of of Nashville and Tootsie's, uh, let me quickly tell you, it is the bar down the road from the Grand Old Opera's original site and it's down a little alley, a little tin can alley and the artists would uh, historically walk down this alley and then go into Tootsie's for a drink after the show and then they'd be invited on stage so literally on this tiny, tiny three foot by three foot stage you've had some of the greatest artists in the world performing and at the end of the trip I was in Nashville and thinking well I kind of feel like I need to be up there, I've got to play my part in this legacy so I was very kindly invited to to do Islands in the Stream, can you believe it, on that stage (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we also did uh, the Hotel California, the Grafton, um, Chateau Mamon, all of these rock and roll hotspots. It was quite the trip. Well, now you have to go back and go to Memphis. You have to go to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. You have to go to Seattle. I mean, there are so many places where rock and roll history was made in the United States as well as in the UK. And I bet you want to see it all. For sure. I mean, we've we've just finished Liverpool, uh, Glastonbury's next. So there's so much to do. And I think being in the place, like the Bluebird Cafe, you can research it, you can talk about it, you can see it on TV. But actually being in there, you can hear them setting up the bar behind us. The thing I love on the interviews, people hammering at the door, trying to get <laughs> one of those 90 seats for that night's gig. And, and being in the middle of hospitality, which has been so brutally hit in the last 18 months as an industry, and hearing what that actually if you take away the legacy of the blue cafe and the tv and the music side of it basically a 90 seater cafe what has it done how has it been able to keep going and also when it was offered opportunities to grow beyond its reach why didn't it accept those opportunities what was the deal behind that i think a great story is a small business to tell yeah it's a very interesting episode in our final moments with you kate how do you keep getting into abbey road and why don't they have your picture at the front door to say do not admit this woman again you practically live there I did, which 
she's <laughs> wonderful. And and I would love to be able to say that was um, not the case, but they probably do have pictures of me saying that was it now, final straw. I mean, it is just such a magical place. Studio Two is is a, a, a taking a breath type place, but so is Royal Albert Hall as well. We had the yeah. whole of the Royal Albert Hall to ourselves. Wow. There was not another soul in there. And these places steeped in history and magic. And you kind of, you know, as a, as a cynical Yorkshire woman, I'm more than happy to cross a threshold and say, well, yeah, it didn't do it for me. But both of those places do sure. really breath away. What is so evident in every minute of the Rock and Roll Business Podcast is, look, we talked about how busy you are, how many hats you wear, how many jobs you have. You wouldn't have even started this if you weren't passionate about it. And that really does come through. You are obviously a fan and you are obviously introducing us to some wonderful people we wouldn't ordinarily get the opportunity to hear from. And we're all learning so much along the ride. And it's really, really fantastic you're doing such a great job with it we're so happy to have it on podcast radio we really can't thank you enough for not only letting us play your show but also for coming on and talking about it with me today thank you so much for having me it's an honor my name's adam sokol and i'm the host of the passions and prologues podcast every week best-selling authors like jenny jackson rebecca mckay lisa scottolini or brad Meltzer come on to my show to talk about yes their new books but more importantly the things that they're crazy passionate about we've talked about the muppets powerlifting, traveling, gardening, home improvement, and so much more. We dig into why these things are their passions, how they inspire their writing, and where they came to fall in love with these random assorted things. Be sure to subscribe to the Passions and Prologues podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com to learn more.